Thanks for downloading the National Trust Gardens podcast. I'm Alan Power, the head gardener for the National Trust at Stourhead in Wiltshire. This is the third garden we'll be visiting in our series, bringing you the secrets and sounds of some of the UK's most beautiful gardens. Today, I'm going to be exploring Sissinghurst Castle Garden in Kent. The garden here is enclosed by 300 acres of farm and woodland. We'll head up an Elizabethan tower that was once a brutal prison. Hear how this magical place was home to a great love. That deep respect and love for each other really is a thing that's fed everything here, not just the gardens. And find out how a working farm was restored to a world-famous garden that the National Trust are preserving today. It's a garden to explore, a series of intimacies that you just have to find for yourself. Sissinghurst was once a grand Tudor estate visited by Queen Elizabeth I. Controversy came in the 18th century when it became a brutal and murderous prison for French captives in the Seven Years' War. And after that, the land became home to farm labourers, with much of the castle and estate falling into disrepair. This was until the early 20th century when two unique people came along. A tired swimmer in the waves of time, I throw my hands up, let the surface close, sink down through centuries to another climb, and buried, find the castle and the rose. Buried in time and sleep, so drowsy, overgrown, that here the moss is green upon the stone, and lichen stains the keep. That was the start of Vita Sackville West's poem, Sissinghurst, read by her eldest granddaughter, Juliet Nicholson. That extract perfectly captures the haunting spirit of the garden, which would become an escape and loving home for her, her husband Harold Nicholson, and their family. The poet and novelist fell in love with the beautiful ruins. She'd been denied inheritance of one of the grandest homes in Britain, Knoll, for being born a woman. So she set about creating a home of her own here. Vita and Harold made Sissinghurst their family home and the garden their life's work. It would provide them with the spiritual fulfilment and inspiration that their garden has provided to visitors ever since. Today we'll explore their legacy as romance and formality collide in spectacular design here in the Weald of Kent. I'm standing in the garden at Sissinghurst at the foot of the Elizabethan Tower, which really is the beating heart of the estate. And I'm surrounded by really inviting little doorways and entrances into the garden, which I can't wait to see later. To my left and right, there are two red brick walls with very mysterious looking doorways. And I know what they lead to, but I can't wait to see it at this time of the year. I'm lucky enough to be standing here with Troy Smith, the head gardener at Sissinghurst. And Troy, what was Vita's vision for this place? That's a good question, because they weren't doing it for posterity or to show off. Actually, for Vita and for Harold, the garden at Sissinghurst was a very personal thing. It was something for their own pleasure and enjoyment and very intimate and special because of that. And I think she very much wanted to garden with nature, with the seasons, with the land around Sissinghurst. So you, you will see at Sissinghurst roses grown to you know wonderful quality but you'll also i'm sure alan see a much deeper kind of experience and i think the best place to start perhaps is if we go up the tower we can get an overview of the layout in the garden right from the top oh fantastic well let's go and have a look then
Troy, this is amazing. Apart from the obvious temperature drop, now that we've come out and we're more exposed up here, it really lays the garden out before you, doesn't it? You can see the rearrangement of some of the planting that you've been doing, the magnificently crisp formal hedges, I must say. You know, I can see you smiling at that and being very pleased with the results. But on one side, you've got compartments of the garden that are fully enclosed by walls, you know, a very intimate space. And then on this side, we're looking out formal garden and right out into the countryside, a very, very commanding view. You know, it's spectacular. You never tire, I never tire from coming up to the tower and seeing the view. And you're right, I mean... I think Sissinghurst is more than the garden. The garden is beautiful, this little treasure box at the heart of the estate, but that estate is also very important and precious to us. So here we can look out onto the farmland and beyond into the chestnut coppice woodland, which really Vita was was also inspired by. And your time at Sissinghurst, Troy, you were starting to revitalise elements of what Vita put into the garden, aren't you? We are, absolutely. I mean, the Trust took on the garden in the 1960s and it's just about trying to bring about a celebration of their garden and that was about beauty and romance and all of these lovely qualities of Vita um, furnishing the the rooms that Harold created, these vistas that he struck across the garden. Right in front of us, which you don't always expect to find in the middle of a garden, do you, is, is a cottage. Yeah, that's the South Cottage we're looking at there and that's part of the Elizabethan mansion that was here. That this tower so part of the, the centre, the original scheme, absolutely, and and you can't at Sissinghurst, I think, separate the garden from the buildings. They're very integral to it. Actually, just dotted around the garden, it actually means that the garden for Harold and Vita wasn't some sort of adjunct. Actually, beside their house because they lived and worked and ate in all of these different buildings in a very peculiar way and probably the first time if you think about this idea of a, of a room outside actually Vita and Harold were doing it in the 1930s and using the garden as a, as a place to, to live in, to entertain, to eat in Truly as part of their home wasn't it? Absolutely, it's a garden to explore as Harold put it, a series of intimacies that you just have to go on and find for yourself Thank you so much, Troy. That's that's fantastic. And I know we're going to catch up again later, but I'm going to disappear now and just learn a little bit more about Vita and Harold and who they really were. I'm lucky enough to be standing in the library at Sissinghurst, which is a very atmospheric room, surrounded by books and insight into the personalities of the people who lived here. I'm standing with Vicky McBrien, who's the conservation assistant at Sissinghurst and she has the joy of working with all of these clues and hints to the past. Now Vicky to start with can you tell me about Vita and Harold and their life while they were here? Well basically I mean Vita and Harold they were married in in 1913 and then subsequently had two children uh, Benedict and Nigel. They had both been through a very tumultuous time in their lives so coming to Sissinghurst allowed them really to refocus and to resettle. And I think being here really brought them together in so many ways, particularly the gardens, actually. I think it became that lovely joint project, even though Harold was also involved in, in diplomatic service and politics and, and all sorts of things. Vita and Harold became fairly well-known in society and they were well-connected at the time, weren't they? They knew everybody in politics. They knew everybody in royalty. There was, of course, Virginia Woolf. Virginia based her, her very famous book, Orlando, on Vita. 
if you've seen Vita's writing room, you would have noticed that there's actually a painting there, and that painting is of Violet Trefusis. Violet was a great love of Vita's. She was the only woman that Vita was prepared to leave Harold for, even though Vita was connected with a number of other people. Yeah. But, but Violet was, was her great passion. Harold obviously had to be considerably more discreet. And, and of course, it was illegal for yeah. me. But this gave Vita and Harold a mutual understanding of each other. And if anything, because they had that understanding, it brought them closer together. And do you think that helped with the development and the creation and the energy they had while they were at Sissinghurst? Very much so, actually, Alan, because they both had things in common but also individual interests. So Harold, with his sort of more classical approach to things, he did that beautiful structure of the garden, whereas Vita, having that other romantic dimension to her, um, added that other colour and vibrancy. So it's, it's having those differences in their personalities and yet those lovely things in common and that deep respect and love for each other that really is the thing that's fed everything here, not just the gardens, yeah. but also our collection. Have you picked up hints and tips that have been useful for Troy or little nuggets of information about different parts of the garden at Sissinghurst that you've handed out the window, so to speak? Actually, yes. We're picking things up all the time. I mean, in Vita's writing room, for instance, we do have a full press on all her gardening books. And it's absolutely fascinating. Well, it's wonderful, isn't it? I feel surrounded by information in here and clues to the past. It's been really lovely to meet you, Vicky. Thank you so much. I'm off out to meet Troy again now and spend some time in the garden, but I'll definitely have a few new pictures in my mind when I'm going around the garden, thanks to you. Lovely, thank you. Hi, Troy, how are you doing? OK. And we're standing here now at the bottom of the orchard and I'm looking back towards the magnificent tower where I had that wonderful view of the garden earlier laid out before me. The trees are bare and I'm standing next to a medieval moat which really gives a strong hint of the deep history that's at Sissinghurst. What's on your list at the moment for the team to be doing? Yeah, well, we're in December now, of course, and uh, what we'd like to do is try and achieve all the rose pruning before Christmas. So yeah. Probably that's the key task that we're underway with, but we're also very flexible because you have to go with the weather, of course. And I think, speaking of the weather, we might get wet shortly because it's starting to come in, isn't it? These parts of the garden are actually closed at the moment, Troy, are they? We are. It's a fragile garden, and therefore we have to be so careful that we get the balance between allowing lots of access for all of our visitors and, and sharing the work that we're doing, but also, of course, fundamentally look after the garden. And, and in these periods in the winter, particularly with our heavy clay soil, it's just very difficult to, to get people around the garden safely without causing that, that damage. So, yeah, these parts are closed, but there's lots of other things there that visitors can see. Now, there's another myth, isn't there, Troy, that um, winter's a quiet time for gardeners, but it's not, is it? <laughs> no, you, you say that smiling and, yeah, you're absolutely right, of course. You know, it's almost our busiest time. It's at this time of year, between October, really, and February, that the more enduring tasks happen, the renewal work, the, the vital con conservation work, and it's a lot of that which we're underway with right now. Shall we um, mosey around the corner and have a look at Yeah, let's take bit. you and show you what we've been doing around here. And what an amazing contrast to come through from the bottom of the orchard 
through here and there's a little bit of mystery in each bit that you travel through. Here we have a medieval wall and we have azaleas planted on the left-hand side, you know, azaleas from a completely different period, you know, introduced into this country. Are there plants that run through these borders that you're trying to stay true to the original design with? They are. We, we talked about the azaleas. Actually, these ones here have mostly reverted to the azalea mollis, the lutium, you know, oh, the, yeah. the yellow-flowered yeah. one, beautiful in May with its scent. Um, but actually, we know for a fact that Vita had all sorts of colours here, oranges, reds, um, gold colour azaleas. And was, um, she actually bought them from the prize fund for a piece of work which she wrote. And she, I think she's, she had £125 prize money. Did she? She went out and bought all of these azaleas. So, Brilliant. So what we're trying to do is we're working with partners in the Trust and one of our neighbouring gardens, Sheffield Park, have some of those old varieties which actually you can't buy anywhere in yeah. commerce. It's so nice to be able to go to Sheffield, get those plants uh, micro-propagated and bring them back and re reintroduce them here at Sissinghurst. And so here, as well as the azaleas, we've also got things like the blue poppies, the mechanopsis. Oh, oh have you? Which, yeah. uh, which are a wonderful sight in early spring. So if we walk a, a bit further, I can show you what we've done in the nuttery. So this is the nuttery and it's, it's a really special part of Sissinghurst Allen because it's, it's actually one of the few bits of planting which were here when Vito and Harold arrived. And very quickly they started to introduce plants under the canopy of the trees here. And uh, right through for really 40 years it was something that Sissinghurst was very well known for. People would come from a long way to see this whole carpet of brightly coloured polyanthus under the canopy. It feels very different in here, Troy, doesn't it? To the, we've, we've walked past two compartments from the orchard through to the borders and in here it's a very, very different feel. Do the visitors give you that feedback as well? I think people do respond to that. They feel a little, a little bit more relaxed here and the, and the planting perhaps is a bit more achievable. It, it looks kind of casual and as if it's just happened, which, of course, people can, can respond to. You know, a garden needs to have pace and this part of Sissinghurst. You just relax and then move into the next space, which we can do now. If we walk up here, we can go into a part, which is one of my favourite parts of Sissinghurst, which is the spring garden. Yeah. Now, this is completely different again, isn't it? You know, we've left the nursery behind, but still down the length of the nursery, we're lucky enough at the moment in the winter that we can see the statue in the centre. And these limes, left and right, it's a really, really rigid avenue of trees, isn't it? Really controlled. It feels as if it's on its best behaviour. Yeah, it's, it is unusual for Sissinghurst, but it's very formal lines. This was more Harold's area. She really left Harold to do the, the planting as well, and he called it my life's work. And I think you can see in spring when you're here through March, April, May, you know, the amount of detail he devoted to this space. It's all planted with spring bulbs. Yeah. So of every kind, fritillaries, tulips, narcissus, um, a whole range of things that just pop up. Effortlessly done, but actually we know the work behind that. And <laughs> Nothing's effortless, I, I can it? only imagine the amount of effort that he must have took devising the scheme and, and keeping it going. Feet and Harold were well-travelled, weren't they, Troy? And did, do you think their travels influenced what they were doing in the garden here? Very much, yeah. They, I think, were inspired all the time with the places they, they went and the plants that they saw, whether it was tulips strewn on, on, on a hillside in the Middle East somewhere. And certainly when they saw that, they wanted to replicate those ideas back at Sissinghurst. So what's next on the list today, Troy? Well, I think you should go to the Rose Garden now and look at the rose pruning. 
and Helen's there, one of my gardeners, and perhaps I'll catch up with you in the white garden. Yeah, I'll see you in a bit then. Thanks a lot, Troy. So I've now moved into a different part of the garden at Sissinghurst, and I use the word different because every compartment feels very different as I'm going through it on this cold December day. But to my left, there's shadows of wonderful roses that would have looked stunning in June, and to my right, there's this glorious shadow of a border. But really, I'm standing here next to Helen Champion, one of the gardeners at Sissinghurst, and I want to know a little bit more about the historic collection of plants directly in your care at the moment, because I know that you're pruning some of them at the minute, aren't you? Yes, I am. And how's it going? Uh, fine, except it's cold, but yeah, it's fine. It is cold, isn't it? I know exactly how it feels standing on the ladder pruning a rose in the middle of winter, and the wind always finds you, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the layers of your clothing build up and up until you're like a sort of Michelin man and can hardly move. Yeah, so. hunting for your secretaries in yes. your pocket. Um, but Helen, can you tell me, and you're obviously very close to it, what is so special about the collection of roses here? Well, I suppose sometimes when we think about a collection of plants, we might think about a national collection where all the plants are gathered together of a certain genus and just put in one place and looked after for posterity. But this collection is quite different. It's not like that at all. It's created uh, by one person, and it was created uh, by her for her own pleasure, really. And Rita was very romantic, and uh, it was the romance of old roses that she really loved. So we have lots of albers, we have bourbons, centifolias, um, damasks, gallicas, etc. You know, she loved the fact that bourbon roses came from an island. She was very caught up in the romance of it, you know, the romance of the names, Cardinal de Richelieu, Belle de Cressy, Madame L'Oréal de Barnet, and the colours as well that reminded her of the carpets that she saw when she travelled in Persia. And she particularly liked uh, Tuscany Superb, this very deep, dark uh, red and she wrote the velvet rose, what a combination of words. And of course then there was the scent, this heady, powerful scent that old roses give out. And when she came to Sissinghurst, she finally had the space to indulge in her passion. And she, she liked to plant very profusely, very lavishly. And uh, so the rose garden is full of these roses and other herbaceous plants like peonies, um, irises, erimurus, etc. And she said, oh, I'm drunk on roses. And I think that's a great expression and I love to think that people can still come here and see the roses that Vita planted and get drunk on roses a little bit themselves. And tell me, do you are you close to finishing the collection, having the collection as intact as you'd like it, or have you got years of work ahead of you to carry um, on building it? We were fortunate in that Vita's first head gardener, Jack Vass, had made a list of all the roses that had been growing in the garden in 1953. So we're now at about 300 roses, and I think we are nearly there. That's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, That's, and exciting yeah. as well to have all these new uh, roses in the garden. You know, we've got more mosses, General Kleber. We've got uh, another Bourbon, uh, Souvenir de la Malmaison. Uh, just loads, and that's just to mention, you know, two or three. But yes, they're all old roses. Wow. So we're, we're in December now, and I walked past you earlier. You are in the middle of pruning one of the roses yes. at, at the bottom of the yeah. tower. Once we've done all the pruning on the walls, we all come into the rose garden. Uh, it's a really nice uh, combination of sort of technical skills where you're 
you're doing the method of pruning, you know, taking out dead, disease damaged wood uh, to increase health, and you're taking out some old stems to increase vigour and trying to get a lovely shape. But there's also the creative side of it. You know, we do this special training method, and um, of course, you're thinking about how to train the rose so that it looks lovely, aesthetically beautiful, and will flower well. So there's that, that nice combination. That's great. And you, you say we all. Yes. Yeah, I, I had it in my head that maybe you do all of this all on your own. But no. presum- presumably <laughs> you've got lots of volunteers and help from staff. And The volunteers at Sissinghurst are really fantastic and crucial to, to the sort of smooth running of the place. And we have about 370 wow. that help overall. But we have 30 that help in the garden. And in the summer we have two special groups that come in and they're called the deadheaders. And then they start at the top of the rose garden and they sort of whoosh their way all the way down, deadheading as they go. And when they've finished, the rose garden looks just totally amazing again. You know, it's really restored to its pristine state. Helen, thanks a million. I need to go and find Troy in the white garden. There are so many routes through the garden here. Which is the best one for me to take? Well, we're in the rondel now, so I would advise just going straight ahead, look ahead, and you'll see actually the vase in the white garden, which is a brilliant uh, viewpoint and I think one of Harold's best design elements in this garden, this amazing view from the top of Lime Walk all the way through to the White Garden. So go and enjoy it. Thanks a million. Cheers, Helen. Bye. Hi, Troy. Hello again. How are you doing? Helen said I'd find you over here. Coming into the White Garden again, you know, I, I love the brickwork here. It gives a great sense of enclosure in the White Garden. And although we're almost in the depths of winter now but I can almost feel the luxurious floral display that comes in this garden but for Vita it was much more about the white flowers themselves wasn't it in this place how they showed themselves in the evening and at twilight yeah well the white garden is positioned as you can see here next to what we call the priest's house and this is where Vita and Harold would eat so, you know, they slept in one place and worked in another. This is the house that they had the kitchen and that they would eat. And so on an evening, they would spill out of the door there that, that we can see coming out from the side of the, of the house into that lovely seating area and, of course, sit there long into the evening. And so it seemed actually very sensible, therefore, to have a garden which really illuminated itself without artificial lighting at the end of the day. And there are certain varieties, and there's, you know, Phlox is one that really stands out in my head because they almost glow glow in the dark, don't they? It's funny you should say that. Just down the flight of steps there, which we've recently re- restored, Vita had that as a little Phlox garden. Oh, did she? Just because of the evening light that used to catch yeah. them. Wow. And they do, you know, it's it's something that goes right back to when I was at Mount Stewart. We had a Phlox there that you could almost see your way home with it. It was really, really, really beautiful. But I honestly can't think of a better place to kind of end our programme today. I've learned so much meeting you and your team. And actually, I feel as if I've got to know Vita and Harold a little bit better today than the heart and soul they put into this place. But what's really come out for me, Troy, is talking to you and your team. The fact that your heart and soul is in it as well. It's lovely to hear that, Alan, because I think what we really try and strive for here is the sense that when everybody comes, every visitor, they feel that spirit, they, they sense Harold and Vita. I just want to say thanks for today, thanks for showing me around and letting me borrow your team for a while. It's great to see you here again. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find more of them by searching for National Trust Gardens. Subscribe on iTunes or follow us on your favourite podcast app. 
We'd love to know what you think of this series to help us make more of them in the future. So please do leave us a review on iTunes as well as filling out our survey, which you'll find in the programme description. This may well be the last full programme in this series, but we'll be giving you some more little extras from Sissinghurst throughout the month, such as how you can use no-dig gardening if you've also got difficult clay soil, and a little extra on the magic of meadows. But thanks for listening, and hope you can join me again soon. I'm Bethany Hughes. I've been visiting National Trust properties all my life. But in this series of podcasts, I'm going beyond the delights of teas and topiary to reveal the surprising European roots of some of the most splendid sites in England. You can subscribe to my series by searching for Bethany Hughes's 10 Places, Europe and Us, on your podcast app.